0: It's good to see. I can't. I'm just going to move this slightly. I can't believe you're here, in the sense that you brave the snow. So I'm well impressed that you have arrived. Got some things today, just to some visual aids, which will hopefully make sense fairly soon. And I just wanted to start with a little story. So if you remember last week, I mentioned that I'd been to New Wine Leaders. If you remember. And I'd embarrass myself. And I don't know whether you've ever had a moment where you suddenly realize you're of a certain age. Well, that happened when I took a picture, trying to be subtle, and the flash went off. And I embarrassed myself because Luke looked at me like I was old and I didn't know what I was doing. If you remember, he offered kindly to show me how to use my phone. I'm very, very grateful. Well, I feel the Lord has vindicated me because this week we went to Rotherham. Thank you. I have a friend that I pray with regularly, and he's in New York City. And I said, well, I'm going to Rotherham. I'm very grateful. So we went to, it's where the Diocese of Sheffield headquarters are, in, uh, just next to a dual carriage. Right? Oh, it's beautiful. It is in the middle of Rotherham. And we walked in, and the lady behind the desk, I would not argue with her, folks. You know, you, you meet some people, and they have that vibe. Do not argue. You got it. So she said, what would you like to drink? So I said, have you got anything decaf? To my amazement, folks, they did. And then as Luke opened his mouth, I thought, please, Jesus, don't. Luke said in his beautiful, silky, dulcet, late-night love radio DJ tones, he says, do you have any peppermint tea? (laughs) The look she gave him say, you what? It's <laughs> Rotherham love, that's right. And he persevered. And I just thought, I was so embarrassed. I thought he let himself down. <laughs> he let us down. No, didn't really. And she did offer him green tea, but apparently that's, that's not the same thing, apparently. There you go. I didn't really, I'm not cultured enough to that. So folks, we're looking at Psalm 23, we're looking at this subject of freedom, uh, Hosea 10.12, break up the unplowed ground, and we are tracking through one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 23, written by King David, and King David is arguably the most influential and famous King really ever to have led the people of God. He's still, if you would visit Israel today, you'll still see so much is um, dedicated to his honour. And in Psalm 23, before Psalm 23, is Psalm 22. I mean, there's no flies on me, folks, really, isn't If you remember last week, we looked at Psalm 23, because to understand Psalm 23... We need to read it in context of Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. And this is what it says, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of anguish? If anything, in the Psalms, it took the reformer Martin Luther something like 30 years to work his way through the Psalms. It captures something, the reality of of life. This is this deep guttural heart cry, where are you God? It's a question that that we all ask at some point, God where are you? The question of suffering is the, one of the most Posed questions or people object to Christian faith. It's the it's the thing that when it when it comes in our lives that 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 can make or break faith. It can be the thing that 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 that, that, that people walk away from God after years been in, been walking with Him. God, where are you? And yet, in the middle of Psalm twenty three, there is this deeply personal. The Lord. He's my shepherd. And last week we posed that question, is he your shepherd? I lack nothing. He makes me lie lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's this deeply beautiful, personal experience that David has had of God in the desert place. And the desert, we know from the, where God's people have, have left the confines and slavery of Egypt, have, have traversed with him in the desert. The desert is a place of pain. The desert is the place where our weaknesses are exposed. It's the place where our fears get revealed. It's the place where everything that we once held on to, the things that have identified us, the things that have given us security, the things that we have worshipped, the things that we've built our foundations on, it all gets exposed in the desert. It is it is hot, it is arid, it is unpleasant, no one wants to be in it but God always uses it and God, as God uses it, those painful parts of life, he fashions us to become like his son. And at the end of Psalm 24, there's just a couple of verses. It says this. Verse 7: Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Just listen to verse 8. It says this: Who is this King of Glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty. In battle, Then he goes on to say, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So what we see is, is David has gone from questioning God's presence. Where are you? God, where are you? And then in Psalm 23, in the middle of the valley, he experiences that God is actually present with him to such a degree that in Psalm 24, he's beginning to articulate how powerful God really is. So how is it that David's heart cry, which is now the, the extent of God's power, how, can he, how is it he can say that? What are the experiences that lead him, lead his heart to cry out in absolute praise? You are powerful. What is the thing that does that for him? And I believe that is in verse 4 of Psalm 23. So we're going to read the whole of Psalm 23 again. It's just six verses. It's, it's not long. And it's, and it's a psalm that is good, I think, to read over and over and over again. Because it is deeply rich and deeply profound. Listen to these words. And they may appear on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Listen to verse 4. It's what we're going to think about today. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Sorry, folks, just rearranging my table slightly here. Before I knock some stuff off on the ground. So verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there is some debate, scholars get quite exercised, about whether the darkest valley here is sometimes known as the valley of the shadow of death. And what David is describing here is the Judean desert. And it is describing traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as you travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, and then you head on to the Dead Sea, you are going through the Judean desert, which is incredibly desolate. It is actually incredibly beautiful. I've been to Israel four times. It is The desert is incredibly beautiful. It's a very profound, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, go. It's a beautiful place. And then within the desert, you find kind of deep valleys. And one such valley is known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Or in Arabic, it's called the Wadi Kelt. It's seven kilometers long. And there's something that we need to know about this valley, which, which makes sense in the context of Psalm 23. It is so deep in the ground that most of the time it is in darkness. You see, um, often in military terms, to, to be up high on a mountaintop is the place where one is most exposed. But down in the valleys in biblical times is the place of danger. And here's the reason why. As one would traverse along through the bottom of the valley, right almost close to you, both sides, would be caves in the rocks. And inside those caves, people would hang out who you don't want to meet. There would be people waiting there who are going to rob you, who are going to attack you. They're going to do really very unpleasant things to you. So the very, very thought of even entering into the valley of the shadow of death fills one with some anxiety and some nerves. Now, what happens is this, is that all of us, all of us have fears in our lives. So, for example, we teach our kids, don't we, don't touch the stove because that's not a good idea. There are some fears like, you know, you look left and right. I'm trying to encourage my kids to look left and right before they cross the road. That's a good idea. There's 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 a sense in which we need to be alert to dangers, otherwise we get hit by cars. But what we do know from the very beginning of the Scriptures is there is a kind of fear that occupies a place in our heart whenever we live in a distance from God. And that fear can become crippling and can begin to define life. That fear can give way to believing lies that we might think about ourselves or other people and can send us on a particularly difficult journey. And so when David is stepping into the valley of the shadow of death, he is embracing, uh, because the, the, the leg- it, is, it is legendarily bad, That's not even a word. Let's make it up. I think it could work. It could work. Put it on Google. It it is infamous. And so as he steps into it, he must have stepped into it with a deep sense of anxiety. When I lived in London, before when Chris and I were courting, going out, before we were engaged. Uh, she lived in nursing accommodation right by St Thomas' Hospital, right in the centre of London, which is, you could see the Houses of Parliament for where she lived. Not bad. I can see you're impressed, but I know you're you're keeping that to yourself. But I can see that you are. And I lived in a place called Streatham. And if you know London, it's not quite as impressive. And so we would hang out, and then I would jump on my bike, and I would cycle home. i cycle through the past... Oval Cricket Ground, and then into a place called, through Stockwell, getting a bit rougher, then a place called Brixton. And, um, and this is 20 years ago, and there were rumours, well, it happened to some friends of mine, that when, when, you, when you stopped at traffic lights, red lights, if any police here, I always affirm stopping at red lights on a bike, it's a good thing to do. But at midnight in the dark, people would grab you and take your bike. And I'd heard stories of this, you know. So you've heard stories, and if it's other somebody else's experience, you're you, you cycling along thinking, is this, is this going to be me today? So what would happen is if there were lots of people hanging around or people would be shouting, I'd get spooked, and then I'd go through a red light, thinking, somebody's going to come and get my bike. I mean, they, they probably weren't. They were just crossing a road. But I, but I was nervous because the... The the narrative that I'd heard connected with a fear that was deep within. And so as that fear began to grow, I was anxious. And David is beginning to describe his journey through this deep valley, a place with a serious reputation for violence, the gathering place for the disreputables, where wild animals would would gather to shelter from the blazing heat of the sun. And you know what really strikes me, the first thing about this, it says, number verse four, it says, even though I walk, even though. I I find in times of extreme challenge, my prayer is, Jesus, get me out of it get on the whatsapp group please pray need a breakthrough <laughs> please help me I don't want to... God is calling me out of this situation get me out of it Lord it's terrible maybe it's a work situation maybe it's a family situation maybe it's a it's a, it's a, it's a situation that doesn't match up with your view of how your life should be going you want out of it Maybe for very good reason. Maybe it's a terrible situation right now. Maybe it's a situation that you can't talk to other people because they won't necessarily understand. But here's the thing for David. There is no get out of jail. The prayer isn't to get me out of it. It goes through it. And that's amazing, because God has revealed to David that he's his shepherd, He's, he's taken him to green pastures. Green pastures sounds amazing. That's just beautiful. We like green pastures. And then he's been led by quiet waters. We love quiet waters, more quiet waters, please Jesus, that's what we And he refreshes my soul. And if you remember last week, we talked about how the, how the shepherd carries the sheep and he massages, gets rid of the gas, he brings it, he restores it to life. He even then takes him on the right paths. So one can only assume, therefore, that the going through the darkest valley is God's plan for his life. That God takes him on this painful journey wrought with danger. I'd be like, I'm doing a U-turn. I'd be t- messaging everybody, pray for me, pray for me, get me out of this is terrible. And yet he journeys through it and in it. I love Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 5. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. It's, it's, it's how in the Hebrew it says you're chosen. You're chosen, what a beautiful thing that God chooses you. And then it says... When you walk through the fire, I don't hang on. But you've just chosen me, so why am I walking through fire? Feel the heat, and then he talks about walking through water. They won't sweep up. So it's like, what's that mean? Is it up to my neck? But but God, you've chosen me. So if you've chosen me, why why is this happening? And then he, as I. Forty three says, I am with you. Even in the hardest moments, he's there. And do you know, I think for some of us that's that's really that is painful. But in the pain, it can be powerful. Because what we discover as we walk that painful journey, there is one who goes before us. There is one, Isaiah tells us, who is familiar with our pain. And that means if there is one who's gone before us, there is one who can guide us, who knows us intricately. And as we walk that journey of pain, do you know we discover that in the midst of it, There is great beauty because there is great beauty because he is there with us. And if he is there with us, he's in it. He will work through it and he'll redeem it. In middle class evangelical charismatic Christianity, it's an aspect of suffering that we don't really give a huge amount of attention to, but other traditions in the church do. Other traditions realise that when we walk through the fires and we go through the rivers, rather than being a sign of God's absence and the lack of God's blessing, it actually becomes the place where we encounter Jesus more beautifully and truly than other times in our life. Nothing grows on the mountaintops, folks. But he is beautifully, powerfully present in the valley. And sometimes what happens is that when we experience hard times, we count ourselves out where the father says, come in. Because I have something to reveal to you about my son, which you only experience in the place of pain. And if we walk that journey in the place of pain, we experience something profoundly beautiful about his beautiful, beautiful the nature of his presence. There's a couple of things. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. The presence of darkness. The presence of the evil, death. And of course we know that death is not the final enemy. This morning we announced at the 9am a a dear saint, Pat Reaney, has gone to be with Jesus. There's a part in the Bible that talks about we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There is another voice added to that cloud. and So even death itself... Even as we face our bodies begin to give up the ghost, he is with us. The one who is present when we were birthed will be with us as we depart and get the ultimate upgrade, folks, into glory. So how does David experience this in the deepest part of his own life? And there's two things he talks about here. I will fear no evil. And yet the valley is known for the place of evil. It's a place of violence and of destruction and of darkness and robbers and of crime and of awful stuff. Things are unspeakable. He says, I'll fear no evil. One, because he knows that God's presence is with him. We're told that that, that perfect love drives out fear. Well, it's just not enough sometimes to say, well, perfect love drives out fear. Oh, I still feel pretty like, oh, I'll never be shaken. The problem is, I'm pretty shaky now. <laughs> well, I've walked through the valley. I, will not... I don't know about you, but I get pretty shaken. Here's David's experience. He describes this. He describes the rod. Now, this is a policeman's truncheon, and it's really battered. And when Matt lent it to me, I said, wow, it's really battered. And he said, well, you should have seen the prisoners. There you go. So uh, there you are defund the police. I'm joking. Um, so, so the reason I've got this is well, because you need to start listening, because if you're not, I tr- tested it out on earlier on Luke's knees, uh, and he could walk after 10 minutes. It was fine. I'm joking. That's a joke. It's not true. It's not true. Um, did you know shepherds would carry a rod like this on their belt? And they would carry it because they were required to defend the flock against the uh, people who were going to um, rob them or who were going to try and steal them. Sheep are valuable, and so they would have to defend them. They'd have to defend themselves, and they'd have to defend the flock. That's what they would have to do. So they had a rod attached to their belt ready at any time. It was also used, it was quite good actually. Well, I could get used to this. It was used for um, getting rid of wild animals. I mean, I I wouldn't want to get close to um, some of those creatures walking around the desert, but you've got to get pretty close. And David, as a young shepherd, would have experienced... Having to face terrifying things. In fact, we know that when he signs up to kill Goliath, take on Goliath, his testimony is in the secret place that God delivered him, protected him from some really terrible things. That's because he would have, even as a young shepherd boy, have been given the rod to defend himself and his flock against attackers. It must have been absolutely terrifying. When I was a vicar in Cambridge, I remember we used to have a local character that would walk into church. And when he walked into church, I did not sing, praise Jesus, hallelujah. I used to think, oh God, no, no. And if he wasn't in a very good place, he used to try and throw the sound desk over. And then one day he came in and he was not in a good place. And so he tried to throw the sound desk over and then he picked up some NIV hardback Bibles and started throwing them around. I don't know if you've ever been hit by an NIV hardback Bible, but they really hurt. And they tried to knock over a pew, and it was like, oh no, what do we do? You want to be welcoming, but it's just like, this is, we've got to encourage him out. And so he didn't take it well, so he's fighting people, and he used to be in the army. Exactly. So so that's not good because he knows what he's doing. And then he used to be a boxing champion, so he's in—he's by the door and he's swinging, like, oh. Gosh, look, encourage him outside. And I'm like, God, please do something. Somebody called the police and they wanted to know. There's only three of them on because of cuts and all that stuff. And so they, they, they're taking it Oh, Jesus, what are you going to do? It's, you know, students aren't going to come and all the fear. Oh, gosh, people aren't going to come because they're going to be terrified and all this stuff. And then an Italian man turned up. This Italian guy turns up and he pushes him to the ground and he says this. Do not lay a finger on a man of God. Then he, then he literally helps him up, puts his arms around him, and takes him down the road. We called him the Italian angel. No whether there was an angel. He turned up with a little bag like a meal deal. So I don't know whether that's how angels roll. I don't know. We're not sure. But what I do know is this. At a moment that was terrifying, God turned up. Now, let me tell you why that was really... I hated school. I hated it. I hated it because I was really bullied physically. This guy terrified me. So when he appeared, I didn't just see a scary guy who'd been in the army. I saw the kids who bullied me years before. It's like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And what I realised is that God... You protect me. And there was something that God revealed about the nature of his character, of his authority and his power. There's a beautiful part in, I'm going to finish fairly soon. Um, I said fairly. Didn't give a time, folks. There's a beautiful part in Matthew chapter 14 um, where Jesus He's walking on the water, and he says this in verse 20, 20, 28. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. I love Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came down to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. It began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus Reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? You see, the rod isn't just the shepherd's instrument of protection, it describes the rod of God, which goes back to the story of Exodus. It is the reminder that God promises to protect his people. It is God's covenant promise that will never break. And in Jesus it is fulfilled. That Jesus, it, when he died upon the cross, draws us to himself. That we are his and he is ours. We now enjoy his protection. You see, in, as, Peter, as Jesus steps out onto Galilee, In this story, it's dark. It's just before dawn, so it's really, really dark. And as he approaches the boat, the reason they're terrified is because there was a superstition amongst fishermen of kind of um, like a leviathan and, and kind of ghostly characters from the sea. So there was a fear and anxiety. So the first thing they do when they see Jesus is they're not full of faith. They're full of fear and think, oh, no, this is it. It's the end times. He's coming to get us. It's a ghost. And actually, what happens is that, is that Jesus calls Peter to step out. And here's the thing in the face of the battle, in the face of walking through the darkest valley, with God as protector, our response, as is Peter's, is to look straight at him. You see, our fears, if we feed them, will grow to all disproportion. But the way that we counter those fears, the way that we remove their power and their lies, is to look to Jesus. And to some people that is, whoa, up, ba 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 it's going in at large. But for some it is just starting the morning with this saying, God, I am yours and you are mine. It's going to be in your presence. Part of the power, the rod, is, our, is worship. It is a weapon, folks. It's also, and when I say this, people get guilty. As a disciple of Jesus, we have to wrestle with our relationship with the scripture. Like, is it part of our daily journey or not? Because Jesus, when he is in the desert, he battles with Satan using scripture alone. So scripture is the weapon that God gives us to fight the lies and to fight the flaming arrows of the enemy. And so the question I ask is for every disciple is what extent is the scriptures and do they shape us? Maybe your bible is it's gathering dust. I don't know. I'm not and that's not I'm trying to be not trying to judge anybody in that. But if we're going to walk through the valley, as our fears are exposed, then he wants to speak to us with his absolute truth and love. So the, the rod for David becomes the expression of God's protection and his power. And then there's the staff. And now Luke was telling me earlier because he's a smart Alec. Well, I love dearly. I'm just joking. That, that shepherds would, would would kind of sleep like this. How they fall over, I don't know. But the idea is that they would stay standing, and that therefore the sheep can see them, and that's a sign of safety. But the thing that struck, struck me is that the way that these are designed is that sheep. Are really vulnerable, as you know, they have no way of protecting themselves. So the way the shepherd would draw them back on the right course. Reach out as the sheep is wandering, grab it by the neck, pull it in. And the thing is, what David is describing is a shift in the shepherd's posture. The shepherd is not out the front now leading the way. The shepherd is not behind kind of cajoling them on. The shepherd is next to the sheep, in the middle of the sheep, close. And as a a sheep begins to wander off, the shepherd reaches out with its staff and draws it back close, restores it back to himself but back to the flock. When we begin to stray, as we all do, as we begin to have distance between us and the shepherd, distance becomes the breeding ground of fear. It does. And so what happens is, as the shepherd then draws us back to himself, we turn back to him, we recognize the way in which we have believed the lies. We recognise the way in which we are going our own way. And he draws us back to himself. And as we come back as part of the flock, we are strengthened by the presence of the other sheep. When I was off for three and a half months, I remember Sundays were the hardest. Which is weird, because I only work one day a week. But I was blessed to have a number of different people message me every single day. There was a particular time when Anne McLaurin, who we worked for in Cambridge, some of you will know, when she heard what's going on, she changed her plans and she came to stay with us, and it was just glorious. And the Apostle Paul describes a situation in two, uh, it's, it's in two uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter seven, verse five, where where he's feeling fear inside him who's facing battles and pressures on the outside and fear within. And do you know what he says strengthens him? It's, it's the visit of Titus who brings encouragement and strength to his soul. You see, as, we are, as the shepherd reaches out to us, where we're going off alone, draws us back in repentance as we come back before him and say, yeah, this is, I'm, this is my life, I'm, I'm, I'm living this way, I'm angry, this stuff's going on, and the, the presence of anger, I'm feeding fears, drawing away, as he draws us back to him, as we are welcomed again by the flock, our soul is strengthened. Restored. So, David, walking through the darkest of valleys, in the hardest of places, experiences God's protection, God's covenant promise I will protect you. He experiences the forgiveness and restoration of the shepherd's heart who draws him back close to the flock, experiencing the father's embrace, the covenant sign that Israel would be God's son, God's children. And that we, as we walk through the valley, do it with the one who knows us the one who loves us, the one who restores us, and the one who redeems us. And if you're in the deepest, darkest valley right now, there is one who has been there and redeemed it on the cross. And when you go through it, you don't go alone. You go with him. And if he's in it, in his by his presence, he will walk you through it. And if he walks you through it, he will use it. Let's pray, shall we?